Hey, this is Ryan Tucker, and welcome to the podcast, The Unchangeable Truth. Today, you're listening to Pastor Stephen's sermon out of Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, and it's titled, Pray, Pay, and Obey. If you have your Bibles today, I would ask you to take your Bible, open up to Romans 13. Romans 13, we're doing our verse-by-verse study through the book of Romans, a series entitled A Life Transformation. We've been studying the book of Romans now for almost a year and a half. You're like, how much longer do we have? I think we'll finish before 2023. I mean, there's still a lot left. There's still several chapters, and so it's so rich. The good news this morning for many of you is we're done with Romans 12, where it talks about how you deal with mean people, how do you respond to your enemies, how do you forgive, all those various kinds of things. But the problem is we get to Romans 13. And Romans 13 is going to talk about how we as followers of Christ should submit to the government. Okay? So I'll just say this. If you walk out in the middle of this sermon, we're going to know you're messed up. (laughs) And the reality is we're all messed up, aren't we? Absolutely. And what Romans has told us over and over, and please hear me, I mean, we're going to get some points. We're going to lay it out. Here's how we should respond. Here's how we should be obedient. But all this is, uh, it, it really builds upon the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You've heard me say this. There's no seven steps to being a better, uh, you know, a better citizen. There's no steps to being obedient under the government. It is all resting upon a surrendering of your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, falling more in love with Jesus, uh, studying and living out His Word. This daily life transformation takes place. And it's a humbling of ourselves to where we come to the point where we realize that there is nothing that I can do that's going to change me. I know you may try real hard. I know that you've been to seminars and read books and all the other things, but the greatest need that you and I have is something that we can do nothing about, and that is our sin condition. So I have to humble myself to where I come and realize and admit that I can't do anything about it, only Jesus can. And Romans has truly been a humbling book. You know, God not only uses His Word to humble us, but God will also use our families to keep us humble. I can remember when I was pastoring a small church in Tennessee, uh, our girls were little, and one Sunday, uh, one of our daughters was sitting there, and um, I, I walked up. She saw me go into the pulpit to preach, and then she said afterwards, she said, Hey, Daddy, what are you doing right before you go up to preach? And I said, Well, I'm praying, and I'm asking God to help me. And in true childlike, innocent fashion, here's what she said. Well, why doesn't he? God uses a lot of things to humble us, doesn't he? I'll never forget, I, I preached one Sunday, and afterwards we were in the car riding home, and I, and I said to Jennifer, my wife, I said, hey, how many good preachers do you think there are in this city? Her response, 
one less than you think. God uses a lot of things to humble us. Hear me. God uses His Word to bring about humility in our lives. And they were absolutely true. They told the truth. Well, this morning we're going to look at the truth of God's Word, and it's going to talk about, again, how we humble ourselves even to the government. The government. Look at what he says here, Romans 13, verse 1. And I remind you, these are not my words. These are the very words of God that I myself either are obedient or disobedient to. Romans 13, verse 1, let every soul, that would be you and me, every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. You want to be a, a, do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Then do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he, the government, he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he, he, he who does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also be subject for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also, oh my goodness, you also pay taxes. For they are God's ministers, attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due. Customs to whom customs. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. Be honest. I read this and I studied through this and I laid this out several months ago. And then this week as I was peeling it back. I thought, well, my goodness, God, you can't use this to save anyone. And uh, we, we've already had one, one public profession of faith this morning. That just goes to show us this. God's the one that does the saving, right? My goodness, who could get saved preaching about submitting to the government? Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that if you're going to be the kind of Christ follower that you and I are supposed to be, again, being transformed, being humbled according to His Word, and being different than those who do not proclaim to be followers of Christ, you're going to be a good citizen. A good citizen. Now, there are a couple of reasons why are a couple of reasons or things that we should do. Now, I knew you wouldn't be able to handle three points, so I've only got two this morning. The first one is this. What are you supposed to do as a Christian when it comes to being a citizen of the government? Number one, pray for and obey the government. Now, you can already tell I put two points in one. Pray for and obey the government. You say, why? Why am I to pray for and obey the government? Well, this passage of Scripture gives us many different reasons, but for sake of time, we'll just deal with three reasons why I'm supposed to pray for and obey the government. The first one is a spiritual reason. You know what Paul has just said? 
Do you know who sets up governments? God. That God is the one who institutes law and order. That God is a God of law. That's the reason why we have all the laws in the Bible. God does not want chaos. God wants order. How do we know this? I'll tell you. There's a passage of Scripture that tells us. This is 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33. It says, God is not the God of confusion, but He is the God of order. God likes everything to be in order. There are a lot of different institutions that God has set up in our world. God has set up the institution of family. He wants it to be in order. And so in the family, he has given authority to the husband to be over the family. He's given authority to the parents to be over the children. Anytime that gets messed up, that's when you see chaos and that's when you see dysfunction. God has also given us the institution of the church. And friend, God, through the church, has established a spiritual order or given us spiritual leaders. According to the New Testament, in churches where they don't recognize their spiritual leaders, they have all kinds of chaos, all kinds of dysfunction, and all kinds of problems. And if I allowed some of you to give testimony, you're like, I used to be the member of that church. Likewise, God has given us the authority of government. That if we don't obey the lines of authority that God has established, then chaos will result. God wants us to live in a society of peace and order, and that's the reason why He instituted the government. Did you know this? The Bible even says that God is the one who has placed individuals into the leadership positions that they hold. Oh my goodness. Listen to what the Bible says. This is in Daniel chapter 2, verse 22. Don't you ever take anything, my word for it. You make sure God's word says it. And if I don't match up with God's word, it's time to get a new preacher. Daniel 2, 22. It says, God sets up kings and God removes kings. You say, well, we don't have kings. I mean, we don't have a king. We have a president. What does this have to do with the authority given to a president? I mean, God doesn't, he's not the one who puts presidents in their position. I mean, we go out and we, we, we vote, right? We cast votes and that's how God, or that's how we get that. I went to the poll and I voted or I mailed it in. No, the Bible says God puts leaders in places of authority. Pastor, are you telling me that God would allow someone to be in the position of authority? Are you telling me that God would allow someone to be president who is not following God's word, who is immoral in the way that they legislate, in the way that they believe, in the way that they live? Listen to me, folks. Immoral leaders are God's reward for immoral cultures. Wicked leaders. They're nothing more than God's reward for a wicked culture. You would have to agree with me, guys, that over the last 50 years, America has departed from the moral standards that she once was built upon and made us so great, and we have been going down, down, down morally. 
So why in the world should we ever be surprised when our government leaders are living lives that are merely reflecting the culture that we live in? God's Word says. He's the one who sets up governments. God's the one who instituted government leaders. He said, because I'm the one who did it, you should submit to them. You say, even when they're not the greatest leaders? Yes. You submit to them. Do you know who was the emperor when Paul was writing these words? Nero. Read a little bit about Nero. Nero was so wicked. Nero was so evil, he would make our president look like a saint. And it's under that that Paul is writing these words. Paul is saying we're to submit to the government. You say, all right, pastor, what if our government tells us to do something that is forbidden in the Word of God? What if our government tells us to, to, that we can't do something that the Bible says we can and we should do? Who are we to obey? You obey God rather than man on the rare occasion that that happens. It's called civil disobedience. But it's spiritual in nature. You remember when Pharaoh ordered all the, uh, the Jewish male babies to be put to death? You remember what happened? There were some midwives and, and there were some mothers that said, we're going to defy the law. We're not going to be obedient under the law because this is the right thing to do. And so they saved the lives of those baby boys, one of which was Moses. You remember Daniel? Daniel is there and he is working for the king and this king is wicked and Daniel is really, he's the next in command. And all of a sudden there was a decree that came down that said this, for the next 30 days nobody will pray to any god or anything except the emperor. Daniel did not go put on a show. Daniel did not go out and pick it. Daniel did not put a bumper sticker on the back of his chariot. Daniel didn't write any, any social media posts. He didn't give any interviews. He merely did what he had done every single day. And he went and he opened up the windows of his room and he fell on his knees and his face facing toward Jerusalem and he prayed to the one true God. And he was thrown in the lion's den. You remember the Old Testament story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that when the law said every time a certain song is played, you're going to fall down and you're going to worship this statue, this big golden false idol. And they said, no, we're not going to. So when everybody else hit the ground, their foreheads hit the ground, and they're bowing and they're worshiping the statue, these three Hebrew boys, they were the only ones outstanding in the field. That's the reason why we say they were outstanding in their field. And what happened? They were thrown into the fiery furnace. I'm just saying there are times when we have to obey God rather than men. And when we do, we may face a den of lions. When we do, we may face a fiery furnace. But I assure you, God will be with you when you're true to Him and you honor Him. If the time should ever come where our government says, okay, listen, you can no longer pray in public. You know what? I'll pray anyway. 
Should the time ever come where our government says, hey, listen, you can't preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in public. I'll preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in public anyway. Friends, listen to me. Understand, I will do it realizing that I may have to face the consequences. Acts chapter 4 and 5, Peter and John were there. And man, they were preaching Jesus every breath they took. They called them in and here's what they said. Listen, you'll preach no more, speak no more about this Jesus. And they said, listen, we're here because we submit to your authority. We're here because we understand the position that you're in. But you know what? We cannot help but preach Jesus. We'll not stop it. And so they continued to preach Jesus, and the Bible says that they, they beat them, they imprisoned them, and they were arrested. But the Bible says that Peter and John left rejoicing. Why? Because they had the privilege of suffering for Jesus' sake. It's a spiritual reason. Charles Ryrie. Some of you have the Ryrie Bible commentary or study. I want you to hear what he writes about this. Dr. Ryrie wrote about civil disobedience, these words, and I think we got the quote on the screens. He said, when civil law and God's law are in opposition, the Bible obligates Christians to protest or disobey. But when a Christian feels he should disobey his government, he must be sure it is not because the government has denied him his personal rights, but because it has denied him God's rights. All power of every government authority comes from God. Wow. Notice, Dr. Ryrie doesn't say anything about any political party. He says all of it comes from God. Remember when Jesus was brought before Pontius Pilate? Pontius Pilate is asking him all these questions. Who are you? Are you really the son of God? Are you really the king of the Jews? He's making all these statements and Jesus stood there and did not say a thing. And then Pilate said this. He said, don't you realize the authority that I have? Why won't you say something? I have the authority to kill you or to save you. Do you remember what Jesus said? The only authority you have is given to you from the Father above. The reason why we pray for and we obey the government is it is a spiritual reason because God says, you're doing it unto me. And so that's where the government gets its power. We are to obey the government because God's the one who instituted the government. But then there's a second reason. It's also external. In verse 4, here's what it says. It says that God's given the government the authority and the power to execute judgment on those who break the law. This means the reason you don't break the law is because you know if you break the law, you're going to be punished. That if you break the law, you face punishment. Why? Because God has given government the authority to punish lawbreakers. That's the reason why I firmly believe with all my heart that our law enforcement officers are God's servants. We have many that are a part of our church. That's the reason why I believe judges are God's servants, that he is allowed to be placed in a position to where they can actually be used by him to make sure punishment is given out when a crime is committed. But now let me ask you this question. 
You're driving down the road, right? And you're going faster than the speed limit a good bit. You come upon a police officer who's sitting there in their car. And by the way, you can't even tell in Lynn Haven until you get right up on it. Oh, look at that cool truck in there. Oh, it's a cop. And it's got their names on it, but you can't see until you're on it. That's dirty, but it's pretty smart. What do you do? What do you do when you're speeding? You see a you, you could do what? You slow down. You slow down. Now, surely you're not foolish enough to where you lay on the brakes. You just kind of pull your feet off and just let it come down just a little. You're like, hey, officer cool car but why do you do that there's an external reason you don't want to pay the fine you, you don't want to have to use your hard-earned money to pay the punishment right you avoid the punishment why do you not rob a bank i mean there are probably many of you in this room that have sat there and said you know what man if i could just go out and rob the bank i'd be doing really really good and then all of a sudden your brain says but you'll go to jail and you'll not be doing really really good there have probably been times in your life to where you sat there and somebody made you so angry that the flesh said, you know what, you can just go ahead and murder them. And then you're like, well, if I do that, I'll go to jail. I don't want to do that. I don't want to break the laws because there's a punishment for me to pay. That's the external reason that we obey the government. And I'll address this. I think we've got time. There are folks that always ask when it comes to government laws and when it comes to the Christian position, what does the Bible say about capital punishment? That every time the state of Florida executes a prisoner on death row, there'll be people outside, they're protesting the death sentence and they'll be walking around and they'll be carrying picket signs and various things like that and a lot of them will claim to be Christians and what they'll do is they'll make their protest based on the Bible and they'll say something like this, the sixth commandment says thou shalt not kill. Well, is that what the sixth commandment says? Does it say that you're not supposed to kill a criminal who's killed another person? I know this, there are some people that think the Sixth Commandment means you can't even kill a fish and eat it. There are some people that think the Sixth Commandment means that you can't kill a mosquito. I'm serious, they've taken it that far. They take it literally. Some of them take the Sixth Commandment to mean this, that you can't go into battle for your country and kill the enemy. Here's what the Sixth Commandment literally says. It says, you shall not commit personal murder. Murder's wrong. But hear me, guys. In certain cases, taking another one's life on the basis of the government is justified. Romans 13, 4. I want you to look at what it says there. It says in verse 4, But if you do evil, be afraid. Right? For he, who's he? He's the government. For he does not bear the, what's the next word? Sword. He doesn't say he does not bear the whip. He does not bear a, uh, the jail sentence. He says the sword. The Romans used the sword for one reason and one reason alone. To do what? To kill. To behead a criminal. Capital punishment. That's what Paul's talking about right here. 
That the government, not an individual, has the authority and the right to take another person's life. Today, here's the way we would read this. We would write it this way. For the government does not have lethal injection or the electric chair for nothing. And then you keep reading. The government is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. So the sixth commandment means this. That you're not supposed to commit personal murder. But if you were in war and you killed another individual in the confines of war on basis of your country, it's not murder. And there are some of you in this room who may be carrying around right now this load of guilt because when you were in war, you killed the enemy. And maybe you thought all along, boy, this is terrible. I can't believe how horrible I am. I've killed somebody. I broke God's word. I broke the sixth commandment. No, you've not. It's not personal murder because you were representing your government who has the right to bear the sword. I'll give you an example. When David was fighting for the Israeli army, and they were going against the Philistines, and he killed Goliath, he was heralded. Yet, when he slept with Uriah's wife Bathsheba, and she became pregnant, and then he had Uriah put on the front line so he would be killed, He committed murder. Do do, do you see the difference between the two right there? So I just want to say this morning, if you fought for our country and you killed another person in battle, man, don't, don't, don't let the devil hold that condemnation over you. And by the same token, our government does have the right for capital punishment. Listen to what it says in Genesis 9, 6. Genesis 9, 6. Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. It's the government that God has set up. Understand, it comes from Him. There is a spiritual reason. There is an external reason. And I get whenever we deal with a subject like this, there are going to be folks who disagree. There are going to be folks that are going to send the letters. There are going to be folks that are going to send the email. Pastor, I disagree with you on this. I'm going to send an email. Where should I send it? The best address, cfondren at highlandpark.org. D-R-E-N is how that goes. Guys, listen to me. We submit to the government authorities because God's the one who says the only authority they have is that which I've given to them. So you submit to them unless they tell you to do something that clearly goes against what my word says. There's a spiritual reason, there's an external reason, but then there's a third reason, and it's an internal reason. I would say the very best reason to obey the government is not because if you don't obey the government, you're going to be punished or you're going to pay a fine or you're going to go to jail. The best reason to obey the laws of the land is because it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. He talks about our conscience here. God's given every single one of us a conscience and it's the part of you that when you think about doing something wrong or you do something wrong, your conscience is screaming out from the inside of you, don't do that. You say, oh yeah, I've heard that, I've heard that. The Bible says let your conscience be your guide. No, the Bible doesn't say that. 
The Bible doesn't say let your conscience be your God. That's the wrong thing. That's not even what he is saying here, and that's certainly not what I'm saying here. The reason why you can't let your conscience be your guide is because the Bible says that there are some people that are so hard-hearted. There are some people that have so turned their back upon the convicting power of the Holy Spirit of God unto salvation that their consciences have become seared like flesh with a white-hot iron. What happens to flesh that's been seared with a white hot iron? It loses all of its nerve capability. It has no feeling whatsoever. And so there are some folks out there that, you know, understand when it comes to their consciences, they can commit all kinds of evil acts and they're morally numb. They become so desensitized to evil and they do all these terrible things and their conscience is not saying anything about it. So it's not about let your conscience be your guide. Instead, it's let the Holy Spirit be your guide. Surrender your conscience... To Jesus. The Bible talks about this. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 5. Listen to what he says. He says the goal of this command is love. Which comes from a pure heart. And a good conscience. And a sincere faith. So here's what that means. You're driving down the road and you're going too fast in your car and you're over the speed limit and you see a policeman sitting there in their car and if you're doing what is right, you don't have that fear of having to slam on your brakes because you're breaking the law. He says it's not about having to deal with the repercussions of breaking the law that keeps you from breaking the law, but if you are driving down the road and you're not breaking the law, going over the speed limit and you see a cop there's no fear that grips your heart because you're not breaking the law that it's the right thing to do and i say that as someone who has publicly said many times the very last part of my body to be sanctified will be my right foot (laughs) and the holy spirit and my wife are working on that i had a pastor friend in another state He was having to go from the city that he lived in to another city. And it's a true story. He told this. I heard him tell it. He was was having to get to this church in another city. And he was the one that had to go to a meeting because he was leading the meeting. And he was late. And so he said he was driving along about 20 miles an hour over the speed limit. And some of you are like, that's nothing. I go faster than that in the parking lot. We know. And by the way, can I just say this? If there's a sign that says, do not park on the grass, do not park on the grass. We'll give you one more shot. And then we're going to remove your parking privileges. I don't know who it is. I know we put up a lot of signs, stay off the grass. It's crazy. There's some grass you can park on, some grass you can't park on. Florida. So my friend's sitting there, he's driving 20 miles an hour over the speed limit. And he said, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit of God gripped his heart and said, man, don't you know? You've got a Christian fish on the bumper of your car. You know, like the ichthus that everybody, oh, that's a Christian, that's a Christian. He said, the Holy Spirit said, man, here you are, you're zipping by all these people, 20 miles an hour over the speed limit, and you've got a Christian fish on the back of your bumper. He said, so I pulled over on the side of the road as quick as I could. I jumped out of my car, pried that fish off of the bumper, and made it to my meeting on time. That's not what we're supposed to do. That's not what we're supposed to do, friend. And by the way, if you noticed, I don't have a Christian bumper sticker on my car. 
Many of you come and you say, Pastor, let's get a Highland Park logo sticker to put on our cars or trucks or, you know, follow me to Highland Park Baptist Church. Are you kidding me? <laughs> no way. We're thinking about making some that say Highland Park Methodist and putting it on your cars. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Don't tell the pastor that, okay? Do you feel guilty about breaking the law of man? Not because you're going to be punished again. It's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. So I'm going to pray for it and be obedient to the government. But number two, I'm going to pay what I owe. Look at verses six and seven. It's what it's all about. Sometimes there were some, one time there were some religious zealots that came to Jesus. And here's what they said. Hey, are we to pay taxes? And Jesus said, hey, uh, you got a coin? Give me a coin. Who, who's, whose face is on this coin? Whose face is engraved on this coin? And they say, Caesar's. And he said, that's right. Give unto Caesar that which is Caesar's and give unto God that which is God's. It's over in Mark chapter 12. Well, in verses 6 and 7 here in Romans 13, Paul is saying, this is how you ought to submit to your government. It's the same way that you submit to God. Well, what am I supposed to submit to God? First of all, you submit your finances. Verse 6 says this, you cheerfully give to God first, but then you pay your taxes. I know a guy, and it's not anybody local here, don't try to figure out who it is. I know a man who claims to be a Christian businessman, and he once bragged to me that he does most of his business on a cash basis because, as he said, he does it so he doesn't have to tell the IRS what his true income is, and he doesn't have to pay that much tax. And he was almost bragging about it, bragging about that. But i got to tell you, I, I lost a lot of respect for him because, listen to me, he's dishonoring God. He's dishonoring God. Sometimes people have a really bad attitude about paying their taxes. You may not know this, since I'm an ordained pastor, an ordained minister, the IRS sees me as self-employed, which means that once a quarter I have to cut that check, send it off to the IRS. There's never been a time in 30 years of ministry where I'm like, oh, goody. It's that time. There's never been a time. I have a friend in ministry, another preacher, and he so hates it when he has to write a check to the IRS that I kid you not, he makes the check out to the Infernal Revenue Service. <laughs> Isn't that true? He's been audited three times. Mm. The Bible says you pay your taxes willingly. God says pay the taxes you owe. Let me just stop and say this. There's nothing spiritual, nothing patriotic about paying more taxes than you have to pay by the law. And honestly, the law has been set up in such a way that there are folks out there that are making choices whether they're going to give to God in his work or they're going to give to Uncle Sam in his work. And there are those of you who regularly tithe to the Lord's work through your local church and you know that when it, tax time comes that you get to take some deductions because you have given to a nonprofit organization like the church 
And then there are those of you who don't tithe and, you know, so when that tax season rolls around, you don't have those deductions to take. Hear me, you should never give to God because you may give a tax deduction at a certain part of the year. Instead, you give to God because you love God and you want to be obedient to God. First church I was ever full-time on staff. First Baptist Church, Blyville, Arkansas. I was the minister of family life and students. I lived in a church-owned apartment right across the street from the Family Life Center. And so when they built the Family Life Center, they installed a security system with a motion sensor on the doors that came in from the alley, and it never failed. About 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, a squirrel or a piece of paper or something would set that sensor off. I was a single guy, and so I was the one that would get the first call. Hey, listen, the alarm's going off in the FLC. And I'd say, okay, all right, I'll meet you over there, officer. And so I'd go over. Many times, I would beat the officer over there, and I'd walk in, turn the alarm off. I'd walk through the building, making sure no one was there. And then when I walked out, the policeman had arrived, and I'm like, hey, it's all good. I've already set the alarm. Sorry for the false alarm. He's like, no worries. I wasn't doing anything anyway, and he would leave. One cold, cold morning, I get a phone call. Hey, the alarm's going off. I'm like, hey, no worries. I'll go over there. I'll take care of it. But it was so cold and I was so tired. I just laid back down just to sleep a little bit longer. And I can remember waking up thinking, oh my goodness, I got to go over there and turn the alarm off. And so I walked over there. The policeman had beaten me there. His car was parked in the alley. He was standing out beside his car. And I walked up and I'm like, hey, I'm sorry, officer. Don't worry. I'll go in. I'll turn it off. Everything will be fine. He said, well, now wait just a minute. He said, now... You guys don't leave that outside door open, do you? I said, no, 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 sir, we don't. He goes, now, was that hole in the wall when you left yesterday? No, no officer, it wasn't. About that time, here comes a guy stepping out backwards carrying a big, huge TV. The officer drew his gun. You blankety, blankety, blank, blank, you drop, sorry, preacher, you drop that TV. He goes, preacher, you get in the car while I handle this. Okay. So I go and I sat in the front seat of his cruiser. And all of a sudden he takes the guy, he cuffs him, he puts him in the back seat. I'm sitting in the front seat. He's sitting in the back seat. The officer's walking around making sure there's nobody else in the church. And all of a sudden this guy's like, hey man, you got a light? I'm like, are you kidding me? First of all, I don't smoke. Oh, my bad. I don't smoke, and not only that, you would ask me for something, and here you are. You've robbed my church. Are you kidding me? It's not even my church. It's Jesus' church. You've been robbing from God, and you're asking me for a light? Now, I've got to be honest with you. Knew he was cuffed. Knew there were bars between him and I. I was a lot more confident than probably I would have been. <laughs> and he's like, sorry. And yet, listen to me. Listen to me. How do you feel when you hear about people breaking into churches and robbing from God? And yet the prophet Malachi says that if you're not tithing, you're just as guilty. That you're robbing from God. 
And please hear me, church. Oh, what a great church we have, a faithful church. Most of you get it. But can I tell you, if we would just tithe, if everyone would just tithe and be obedient to God, then your staff and your finance team would say, oh my goodness, what are we going to do with all this money? Yeah, we built the college building. Yeah, we built, we built this. Yeah, we, we planted these churches and we're sending money over there. And what are we going to do with the rest? And hear me, I'm not saying that because I, I want you to give and God needs your money. God has always been faithful and he will always be faithful. As long as we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, he'll provide and take care of his church. I promise you guys, he's not up in heaven wringing his hands. Oh no, what if they don't meet the budget at Highland Park this Sunday? But I want you to know what it's like to live by faith. I want you to know what it's like to trust him in this. What does Jesus say? Give to Caesar that which is Caesar's. Give to God that which is God. Quit robbing. Several years ago, true story, the IRS got an anonymous letter, and here's what it said. It said, two years ago, I cheated on my taxes. I've enclosed a money order for $200 because I feel guilty and I can't sleep at night. P.S. If I still can't sleep at night, I'll send the rest of the money that I owe you. Mm. Pay what you owe, your finances. Secondly, fear. Fear, that means if you respect God, then respect the government. Fear displeasing God more than you fear the punishment of government. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. You cannot be a good Christian citizen unless you have this holy awe and fear of God. So I'm going to pay my finances. I'm going to pay my fear. Here's the last one. I'll pay my faithfulness. It means this. It means that when it comes to faithfulness, you honor God's character first, but then you honor the position of leaders. Some of you, based on what I said earlier, you think that I don't, I don't, I don't have respect or honor for the president. Please hear me. I pray for him every day. Every day. I had some military friends that taught me this many years ago. The principle, sometimes you don't salute the man, but you always salute the uniform. And the position of President of the United States, according to what God's Word says, you believe John 3, 16, you've got to believe Romans 13. According to what God's Word says, the position of the President of the United States is put there by God. And we're to honor them. We're to respect them. Not necessarily because of their character, but because God is the only one whose character deserves honor, yet we are to respect and honor the position. And so please hear me. I'm saying this as one who will give an account for your souls. When you guys walk around with those shirts, let's go Brandon. You laugh and you think it's funny, it's disrespectful to God, and he doesn't, he doesn't find it honorable. You say, well, I'm proving a point. Since when do you have to prove disobedience to God? Notice, he, oh, it's quiet in this room now. No, no amen on that. But it's God's Word. It's God's Word. 
When you show disrespect to government leaders, you're saying we disrespect the one who put them in position. You honor the position. Well, I don't like that. Mm. Neither did I. But it's the absolute truth. What does it mean to be a Christian citizen? Quite simply, it's the title of this message. Pray, pay, and obey. Pray for the government, pay your taxes, and obey the laws. God's drew this moral standard line, right, where he says, this is my boundary. This is my spiritual fault line. You better move your life to get in line with that spiritual fault line. And unfortunately, there are far too many people today that are saying, no, I want to move God's line, and I want to change God's standard to fit my own life. And that is the recipe for destruction. Because the Bible says, there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end, those are the ways of destruction. What do I do today? Here's what you do. You ask the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. You ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to your heart about being a good citizen and about praying for your government and about paying the taxes you owe. No more or no less. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying following and obeying all the laws of our government as long as they are not in opposition to what God's Word says. And it's a spiritual issue. A spiritual issue issue because God says so you may not do it because of the individual but you do it because of your obedience and honor for God but ultimately listen to me it's even bigger than that one of the things that we focus on part of our DNA as a church I want to earn the right to be heard and when we act like a fool Regarding government, why in the world would we expect anyone to listen to us as we tell them about someone who will change their life? I'm going to encourage you, friend, if you're one of those that spends a great deal of time griping and complaining about our government leaders, and let me remind you as well, you have friended me on Facebook. What if we spent half the time praying that we do griping? Would that change anything? Well, I know this, it'd change my heart. Because look at me, church. Look at me. We're not about this kingdom. We're about a greater kingdom. And we are here understanding this world was never intended to be our home. May we not exhaust the opportunity that we have to tell of a greater kingdom and a king above all other kings over the foolishness of this world. Ultimately, I'll say this. How much legislation do you think changes morality? Zero. There's not a law in this land that can change a heart. Only Jesus can change a heart. And isn't that what we're supposed to be about? Heart change and life change? Now, do you see earlier why I said, well, my goodness, nobody could get saved in Romans 13. But let's stop and think. 
Why would God call us to submit to the authority of government? Because God's teaching us something greater. There is one greater that we will all submit to. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You can either do that in this life, which leads to glory, or you'll do it after this life, which leads to judgment. But everyone will. You think of the most hardened person. You think of the most wicked, wicked individual. You think of those who profane the name of Jesus. You think of those who are atheists. You think of those that have deconstructed whatever it may be. Oh, one day even they will confess the name of Jesus. But if it doesn't happen in this life, it'll be too late. So why does he write Romans 13? Again, God's saying you need to be different than those around you. You need to understand that I've, I've created the institution of government because I know that's what's best for you. But ultimately, I want you to respond in that way because I want that to be a little microcosm of the ultimate, which is this. I submit to you, King Jesus. I submit to you, King have you done that? Either you have or you have it. The Bible says this, for those that are submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that there's going to be a change in your life that has come about because of a change of the heart. I'm just saying if you examine your life and there's no spiritual fruit in your life, that's probably a pretty good indication that there has been no Lordship change. But the good news is you have a God that loves you so much that he would lead you here to this place today to hear me for 40 minutes spit and stomp and tell you things that you don't want to hear. Some of you got to go home and burn t-shirts and hats today. <laughs> he led you here so that you might hear this. If you turn to Jesus, he'll change your heart. When your heart's change, it changes it all. It changes it all. Hey guys, this is Stephen Kyle, and I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today, Unchangeable Truth. This is a ministry of Highland Park Baptist Church in Panama City, Florida. We would love for you to visit us if you ever find yourself in the Panama City area. Our address is 2611 Highway 231 North. You can also learn more about our church and its ministry by going to our website, www dot highland and it's h-i-l-a-n-d park.org there you'll learn more about what we believe what we teach about the gospel of jesus christ there'll also be a sermon archive there so you can go and listen to various sermons over the last several years as always we would love to talk to you about your relationship with jesus christ so feel free shoot us an email info at highlandpark.org if you'd like to learn more about Jesus and what it means to follow him. Our prayers are that you would draw near to Christ, that this podcast would be used to point you to Jesus and to help your faith grow and your walk increase. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening.